Thanks for joining us here at the Light San Diego podcast. This sermon was recorded in Encinitas, California. For more information, please visit our website, lightsandiego.com. Hi, this is going to be part two of our conversation on living with intention within singleness. Uh, if you missed last week's, I'd, I'd probably recommend you to go back and watch that first, uh, just because that kind of lays a biblical vision uh, for singleness. Jesus is teaching an example with it and for us how to engage it. Uh, this is kind of part two to that conversation. So we're going to be talking about three different themes uh, that I think are important to talk about. Number one is that although not every single person desires to be married, actually it's about 50% of single people are interested in a relationship. Um, there are those who are desiring that. And even for those who are not desiring that, there are still moments and waves of longing. So I want to just talk about singleness and living with longing. Um, and obviously that applies for anyone who's living with a sense of longing, but Jesus' example and how he teaches us uh, how to live within that tension. Second thing, I uh, didn't want to leave the conversation around singleness without talking a bit about dating uh, and trying to catch God's heart for those who are maybe transitioning out of dating into marriage or so out of singleness into marriage um, in a really complex cultural moment that we're in. And what does the Bible have to say? Does the Bible have things to say about that? Um, and lastly, I just wanted to kind of end with uh, a reminder of the high vision of singleness within the kingdom of God. And so the first thing we're going to talk about is uh, how to live with longing. And uh, there's so many places we can look to scripture, although we don't have a place in scripture that teaches how to wait with longing within singleness. There's lots of places that just teach us uh, how to live within that tension. But I think maybe my favorite and one of the best examples we have of uh, living with longing is with Jesus himself. The night before he goes, the night he goes to uh, the cross, uh, he is within an intense war of both wanting uh, it not to happen and at the same time desiring his father's will to be accomplished. And he's, and he's caught within that tension of these two things. Uh, I just want to read you that account um, and see if there's something we can learn from that. Uh, again, whether you are living with longing within your singleness or another context of your life, it says, then Jesus went to his disciples to a place called Gethsemane, and he said to them, sit here while I go over there and pray. He took Peter and the two sons of Zebedee along with him, and he began to be sorrowful and troubled. Then he said to them, my soul is overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death. Stay here and keep watch with me. Going a little farther, he fell with his face to the ground and prayed, my father, if it is possible, May this cup be taken from me, yet not as I will, but as you will. Then he returned to his disciples and found them sleeping. Couldn't you men keep watch with me for one hour? He asked Peter. Watch and pray so that you will not fall into temptation. The spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. 
He went away a second time and prayed, My father, if it is possible for this cup to be taken away unless I drink it, may your will be done. There is something so raw and honest about this interaction we have recorded of Jesus and his father. There's a, I mean, it's something that we could spend days and years meditating on. Um, and there's so many things here that I think that we can learn of how to live into that uh, space, that tension well. Number one is to recognize that Jesus had conflicting desires. He literally prays, if there is a way for this cup, which is an Old Testament reference to judgment or wrath, to pass from me, please let this pass from me. There's, there's an honesty within his plea. There's an honesty within his desire for his friends to be with them as they're falling asleep. And within that honesty, there's also a yielding to his father's will. And I think it's a great model for us that sometimes if you're within the context of singleness and you're longing to be married and you don't know if that's going to be a reality and you don't know if it's God's will for you to do that, you're trying to see if this is something God's calling you to. Uh, just a couple of things on that. Number one, it's okay to have conflicting desires. A desire to live into singleness well with contentment and a desire to be married. Um, secondly, Jesus teaches us, be honest. Be honest with your father. You can be as real and raw as you want with him and should be. Next thing this passage teaches us is don't do it alone. Invite people into that. Uh, I found it interesting that a lot of the conversations I've had with people who are single find that they actually don't talk about their singleness very much. And I would just encourage you, not, not just with other single people, but with your friends who are married, friends that have children, talk about the tension that you live in or maybe the conflicting desires you have about your singleness. Um, and within the conclusion of this, Jesus ultimately yields to the Father's will. And I know a lot of times when I hear people talk about singleness, uh, and they talk about it as a call. And some people are like, I don't think I have a call to singleness. And the Bible doesn't have a whole lot to say about the call to singleness, but it has a lot to say about the gift of singleness. And I think it's important for us to note that although there are some who do have a call to celibacy, to singleness, there are some within our church that do, and that should be honored and um, admired. There are some who don't have a desire to be single, and yet they are. And to recognize that God is still present in that, in the longing, in the tension, whether you've been gone through an awful divorce and long to see a redemptive relationship, whether you've lost your spouse and you're desiring to be married again, whether you've never been married and you feel that, that what used to be somewhat normal in your 20s is starting to feel an acute sense of pain in your 30s or your 40s, uh, that you would be honest with God, you would welcome others into it, and that you would continue through prayer just to yield to God's presence and goodness in your life in the midst of that. And recognizing that as we wait on the Lord, that there's something unique that God does with us. So think about Isaiah 40, it says, but those who wait in the Lord will renew their strength. It does not say for those who wait for marriage will renew their strength. But what it says is those who wait on the Lord, wait 
in his presence will renew their strength. They will soar on wings like eagles. They will run and not grow weary. They will walk and not be faint. But also know this, in the tension, in the waiting, there is something to be done. Again, 1 Corinthians 7, the the passage that speaks explicitly to singleness, Paul says this, Would you like to be free from concern? An unmarried man is concerned about the Lord's affairs, how he can please the Lord, but a married man is concerned about the affairs of this world and how he can please his wife. And his interests are divided. An unmarried woman or virgin is concerned about the Lord's affairs. Her aim is to be devoted to the Lord in both body and spirit. But a married woman is concerned about the affairs of this world, how she can please her husband. I'm saying this for your own good, not to restrict you, but that you may live in a right way. And here it is, in undivided devotion to the Lord. Um, I'm happily married. I love being married, but I will tell you, four small kids and a wife of 15 years requires a lot of my attention, and it's a joy to give. But the Bible, in Paul's letter, talks about that there is a unique ability that singles have to have an undivided devotion to the Lord, which means that my devotion to the Lord is divided. And it's not wrong. It's my, it's my role and my job. But for those who are single, understand that within your tension, yes, be honest, welcome people into it. Jesus had conflicting desires. Let God meet you in it. And at the same time, would you spend time just saying, Lord, while I'm waiting, would you remind me of my mission? Would you remind me of the work you have for me to do? Not the secular vision for singleness to just, you get to do whatever you want, but to say, God, whatever you want from me, I want to serve you with an undivided devotion. The second thing I want to speak into for those who are single and have a desire to be married, you will most likely go on a journey that culture has called dating. And um, this is a really tricky subject to preach on, frankly, because the Bible doesn't have anything to say about dating because dating was not invented, as far as we know, until 1914. So it's only within the past hundred years that we have a cultural framework for this thing we call dating. And so the, the question is, does the Bible have something to say for those who have a desire to be married and are in the process of dating, you have the dating apps, or you've been set up by friends, or you're kind of praying through maybe jumping into that. What is the Bible? Does the Bible have anything to say about this? And this is what I like to say. I want to be honest with you. And in one response, no. The Bible does not have a Bible verse about dating. But in the other sense, yes. And that larger lens is called the gospel. You see, the gospel shapes how we see everything. The gospel shapes how we see marriage. It shapes how we see finances. It shapes how we see our time. It shapes how we see our friends. And it should shape how we view the opposite sex when it comes to dating and courtship and engagement. We need to ask, what does the gospel have to say about this? And if we are reminded daily of the reality of the gospel, it will influence how we engage the dating scene because I just want to let you know, culturally speaking, it is incredibly complex and dark when it comes to this. And so we need a renewed vision for that. And so in order to do that, I'm going to read you 
from the Apostle John's letter to his church about the gospel. And I'm going to just offer a few things in light, and again, not a Bible verse about dating, but in light of the gospel, how we ought to think about dating. But first, let's read 1 John chapter 4, starting in verse 7. It says this, Dear friends, let us love one another, for love comes from God. Everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. Whoever does not love does not know God, because God is love. This is how God showed His love among us. Right Here's, here's the gospel. He sent His one and only Son into the world that we might live through Him. This is love. Not that we loved God, but that He loved us and sent His Son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. Dear friends, since God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God, but if we love one another, God lives in us and His love is made complete in us. What good news for those who are trying to wade through the waters of dating is that God lives in us and His love is made complete in us. This is how we know that we live in Him and He is in us. He has given us His Spirit. And we have seen and testify that the Father has sent His Son to be the Savior of the world. If anyone acknowledges that Jesus is the Son of God, God lives in them and they in God, and so we know and rely on the love of God has for us. God is love. Don't let culture define what love is for you. God is love. Whoever lives and loves lives in God and God in them. This is how love is made complete among us so that we live, that we will have confidence on the day of judgment in this world. We are like Jesus. There is no fear in love. But perfect love drives out fear because fear has to do with punishment. The one who fears is not made perfect in love. We love because he first loved us. Whoever claims to love God yet hates a brother or sister is a liar. For whoever does not love their brother and sister whom they have seen cannot love God whom they have not seen. And he has given us this command. Anyone who loves God must also love their brother and sister. I know there's a huge chunk of scripture, but, but hear me out. You might be thinking, well, that's just talking about like loving everyone. And the answer is yes, which means that includes those who we have romantic interest in. It means that we should start with the idea of loving people within the lens of the gospel, loving them as brothers and sisters, as shaped by the atoning sacrifice that Jesus gave us on the cross. I mean, what would it look like for you to open up Hinge or, or open up whatever, whatever dating app you have, first with a prayer, Lord, would you help me approach this with the lens of the gospel? As you're going on your first or your second or your third day, that you say, Jesus, would you help me live out and notice the love that you've shown me? As you think about engagement and you think about spending a life with someone, is it formed by culture and self? Is it formed by self-interest and self-preservation? Or is it formed by selfless love as defined by the gospel? So I, I want to speak to you now. Um, a couple of things that I have learned. I'm going to speak a little bit from my experiences. Some things I want my children to know when they start dating, which will be in 30 years or more. Uh, but when they do, some things I would, I would want them to know. I'm just going to speak to you as a father. Number one, the Bible talks about finding someone who is equally yoked. It doesn't mean you find someone who is the exact same as you or knows the exact same biblical theology as you. It just means someone who has let Jesus come and inform them the same way as you are. And the reason why that is significant is because if you do not, 
you will be marrying someone who does not have the same well to draw from and guess who they're gonna be drawing from from their source of love, it'll be you. Find someone who has the same kingdom vision for God. Next thing I would just encourage is, is be content. Do not think that a romantic love can fulfill you in a way that Jesus cannot. Otherwise that romantic love has become an idol for you. Ask Jesus to be, com- to be content where you are. Sam Albert in his book, Seven Myths About Singleness says this, the key to contentment as a single person is not trying to make singleness into something that will satisfy us. It is to find contentment in Christ as a single person. And the key to contentment as a married person is not trying to build a marriage that can make us content. It is to find contentment in Christ as a married person. Next thing I would encourage you is if you are entering into a dating relationship as shaped by the gospel, it must be marked by restraint. Jesus' love for us is consistently marked with humility, not living into what he could have, but choosing to lay it down. And largely within a dating relationship, that's going to mean your sexuality. It's going to mean your desire for physical intimacy. And that is a gift you can give as modeled by Jesus as he restrained himself and humbled himself so that someday there is a level of exaltation. We have that model. Is that when you enter into covenant, this is when God has sanctioned sexual activity. This is when restraint shifts from something you withhold and then something that you give. But sexual restraint continues for everyone else in the world around you. And if you cannot practice that within the arena of your dating relationship, it will be harder for you to practice that within the context of your marriage for other people who are around you at your workplace and people who come into your path. Restraint is a massive part of living into a gospel-shaped view of dating um, and recognizing that this this is incredibly unique because we live in a culture that says that you cannot be satisfied. You cannot be fulfilled unless you live into your sexuality. And I just want to say that the gospel speaks otherwise. You are fulfilled by and only Jesus. And that sexual expression is not only an act within covenant of fulfillment, but ultimately a signpost to our union with Christ. Glenn Harrison in his book, A Better Story, God, Sex, and Human Flourishing says this, whether we are married or single in this life, Sexual desire is our inbuilt homing instinct for the divine, a kind of navigation aid showing us the way home. You could think of it as a form of body language. Our bodies talk to us about a greater reality of fulfillment and eternal blessing and urge us to go there. Sexual feelings don't need to be met for their purpose to be fulfilled. I'm going to say it again. Sexual feelings don't need to be met for their purpose to be fulfilled. When I feel that deep sense of longing, that feeling of sexual restlessness or frustration, I am to think of that ultimate restlessness that comes when we live apart from our Creator. A restlessness that has its answer in the one who promised deep and abiding rest for all who come to Him. Sexual sin feels like the answer to that restlessness. But like all of sin's pleasures, it is only temporary and fleeting. Celibacy isn't a waste of our sexuality. It is a wonderful way of fulfilling it. 
It's allowing our sexual feeling to point us to the reality of the gospel. We will never ultimately make sense of what our sexuality is unless we know what it is for, to point us to God's love for us in Christ. Man, powerful. And the reason for that is oftentimes we confuse the idea of sex with intimacy. And the reality is that's not the case. You can be sexually active and not have intimacy, and you can have intimacy and not being sexually active. And I'm not just talking about those who are single or dating. This could be for those who are married, but one of them has an accident and becomes a quadriplegic. Someone who, because biologically or physiologically, cannot have sex, but they remain within the covenant of marriage. You are not missing out on the fullness of life just because you cannot have sex. We live in a culture that idolizes sex. We believe it's our salvation and we need to have a renewed understanding of its purpose to ultimately point us towards union with our covenant partner and even beyond that union with our God who will be forevermore, which is the complete opposite of the culture we live in, which is not only just valuing consensual sex, but essentially hookup culture of sex is just a need is a way to get your needs met. You don't even need any level of intimacy. So this would be my encouragement to you. If you are dating, your level of physical intimacy should never exceed your level of relational commitment. Meaning that the, the highest level of relational commitment, which the Bible says is a covenant, is the only arena where the highest level of physical intimacy can be conducted in a safe way. So if your level of intimacy, physical intimacy, has exceeded that of of your relational and spiritual commitment, take a step back. Invite the person you're dating or your fiance into a, a season of abstinence until you enter into that covenant. I can't tell you how many couples I know who've made that decision in their engagement to stop sleeping together until they are married. And the reason why that's so beautiful is God does not operate out of shame. He does not operate out of guilt. He's not wanting you to listen to this and feel bad about yourself. He's inviting you into something different. It says that God's kindness leads us to repentance. What a beautiful gift that when you enter into marriage, whether you're getting married next week or in two years, and you make that shift of saying, Lord, I'm going to do this differently as formed and shaped by the Bible and the gospel. Watch God's redemptive blessing that can come. It's not too late. And I know that there are people in here that are not only making sexually explicit decisions, but those who have been harmed by people making really awful sexual decisions towards you. And I just want to say that is not God's heart for you. His desire for you is to be protected. His desire for you is to be made whole and healed. And that is possible within God's presence and in the family of God. And if you need help with that, whether that's therapy, talking to someone, please reach out because we believe that the gospel has so much to say about this. And the last thing I just want to leave you with, if you're dating, use godly wisdom. few ways you can do that. Number one, read the Bible. Let the gospel shape it. Number two, have a multitude of counselors. See what your family and your friends, specifically those who fear God, say about your relationships. Don't be afraid to take things slow. Um, Write down the things that you desire and that you want. Write down the things you want to abstain from until you're married. And be, the whole word of this year is intentional with your dating relationship. I want to end uh, end with this last point about singleness is that those who are single have a unique position and opportunity for the kingdom of God. 
I'm going to give you three ways you can do that. Number one, a level of urgency. 1 Corinthians 7 says, What I mean, brothers and sisters, is that the time is short. He calls married people to live as our single brothers and sisters. Use your singleness. Use it urgently for kingdom and redemptive purposes around you. Next, remember that every single, single, every single, single person who's watching this will be married someday to the bridegroom, Jesus Christ. It's the title he gives himself. Everyone will be married. Even earthly marriage is pointing to our divine marriage. And that can instill a sense of hope within us. And lastly, I want to leave you with a blessing. Not a blessing even found in the New Testament, but within the Old Testament. Again, talking about the idea of eunuchs, those who could not be married, have children. He says this, to the eunuchs who keep my Sabbath, who chooses what pleases me and hold fast to my covenant. So the covenant single people, it says this, to them, I will give within my temple and its walls a memorial and a name better than sons and daughters. Did you hear what I just said? Those who live within the covenant family and are single have a blessing of having a memorial and a name better than sons and daughters. I will give them an everlasting name that will endure forever. And so if you're single, can I just say you are blessed within the kingdom of God. You are blessed within Light Church. You are a vital part of our family. And whether you're single and loving it and rejoice in your your gift of that, whether you're longing to be married someday, maybe you're in the throes of dating in our culture, let's be reminded of the beauty of the gospel, what Jesus has to say about us and what he has to say about it, and that we would continue to live with blessing and with hope and with urgency as we continue to wait for the day of redemption that is coming with our Lord. We love you. Thank you so much for journeying with us. Grace and peace to you. Thanks for joining us here at the Light San Diego podcast. This sermon was recorded in Encinitas, California. For more information, please visit our website, lightsandiego.com.